I want to put up on the screen a symbol that is a powerful little symbol. What does that symbol mean? Rewind, right? I think that symbol represents one of the greatest inventions of my generation, right? Because here's what that means. Now we never have to miss anything in our favorite TV show, right? What a powerful little symbol because if you have to go to the bathroom or you have to go to the the kitchen or somebody calls on the phone, if you miss something, you can just what? You can hit the rewind button, you can back it up, and you can pick up where you started missing and you can catch up on everything that you missed. The principle of rewind. If you look up the word rewind in the dictionary, it says it means this, to return to an earlier point in a conversation or activity rewind. Why am I sharing that with you? Here's why. Because today what I want to do is rewind. For the last seven weekends, we have been walking through a text of scripture in the 15th chapter of the gospel of John. For seven weekends, we have been examining some spiritual truth that Jesus gave to his disciples in a powerful illustration from a vineyard. Before John chapter 15, we actually opened the series with the last phrase of John chapter 14 that Jesus said, here's what he said, get up, let us go from here. What I want to do today is I want to rewind to what happened in that little upper room before They got up and left, went out into the vineyard, and we, for seven weekends, unpacked all of that truth that has been so deeply transformational in so many of our lives as we've understood what it is to live abiding in Christ. But before that powerful illustration, it was a scene that took place. John doesn't give us all the detail of what happened. As you take each of the different gospel writers' accounts of what happened in that little upper room, you get the complete picture of what transpired there. But I want to read you out of Matthew's gospel, beginning in chapter 26 of Matthew's gospel, verse 20. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. If not, I'm going to put these words up on the screen. Matthew 26, verse 20. Here's what it says. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. Now, remember... We know what's happening at the end of this. Jesus is going to ultimately get to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be run through a series of mock trials. Then Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. And Jesus is going to rise again from the dead. Just before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stopped in a vineyard with his disciples and poured out all the truth that we've been unpacking for the last seven weekends. Now we've backed up even further... In that same evening, and get in your minds a very ordinary, casual, comfortable scene. Jesus, in an upper room, with his disciples, enjoying a meal. Now, because... We are now 2,000 years this side of this event and know the significance of what's happening. We read this passage of Scripture through a set of lenses. But you have to understand, in the disciples' mind and I, that night was not uncommon. For three and a half years, they'd eaten dinner with Jesus every night. 
For three and a half years, they had gathered somewhere in an upper room or under a tree or somewhere and broken bread and enjoyed a meal together. So there's nothing uncommon at this point. The disciples are not like in awe of this moment. They're lounging around like college students in a dorm room, eating a meal together, enjoying fellowship and having conversation. But in a moment in that meal, Jesus reaches and he grabs some bread. And it's like the whole tone of the room begins to change. Pick it up in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. None of the gospel writers tell us anything about what he said during that blessing. But wouldn't you have loved to have heard that, right? Jesus takes the bread and then he just starts praying. Prayed. And it says, He gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. Of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In verse 30, he says, After singing a hymn. Wonder what that sounded like. These 11 guys and Jesus in their singing. It says they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, right there is where we started seven weeks ago. They went out into a vineyard, then ultimately into a garden. But now we've backed up in the story, and we see what transpired in that little upper room. Now... Again, I want you to try as best as you can to hear it as the disciples heard it. Because we look back now 2,000 years this side of that moment. And we, as soon as we hear the words Jesus is speaking, we have a framework through which to hear that. Because we know what happened on Friday when Jesus was crucified. We know what happened when he was buried. We know what happened on Easter Sunday morning, praise the Lord, amen, when Jesus rose again from the dead. We know all of that. So when we hear these words of Jesus, we have a a box to put them in. But you got to understand, the disciples did not. They'd never seen any of that yet. Jesus had been talking about it, but, but they just couldn't, they, they couldn't filter it. They were, they were still confused in this moment about what's taking place. And that's why a few moments later when Jesus is arrested in the garden, all the disciples scatter and run and hide. They don't know what's going on. And in the middle of that, Jesus institutes, if, if you will, this divine moment can you imagine what it must have been like for them after the death burial and resurrection 
when they came back together for the first time and somebody said, hey, you, you remember what Jesus told us to do? And for the first time, one of the disciples, probably Peter, grabbed the bread. Remember the last time they'd seen it, it had been the hands of Jesus holding the bread. So now, here's, I'm sure, Peter, if not Peter, one of the disciples, John or James, and feeling incredibly inadequate having seen Jesus do this the last time they'd watched it. As they, I'm sure, with trembling hands, grabbed that bread and began to break it and distribute it. Jesus gave them this little practice that we call the Lord's Supper or communion, depending on the background that you come from. And What I want to do today as we celebrate that together to kick off Easter week is I want to share with you three defining lessons that Jesus gave them in the context of this little practice that are still applicable for us today. Here's the first one. Jesus wanted them to understand that they had a sacrifice to remember. Let's just be real honest for a second, if we can, okay? Everybody good with that? Say amen if you're good with that. Now, you realize what you just admitted, right? You're about to get honest. And I know what happens at church is we mask that pretty good, right? I mean, if we really want to get honest, let's, go, let's rewind back to the car when you got here, right? I mean, we're a lot more honest in the car on the way to church sometimes than we are when you get in church. But I want us to be honest for a second. Just be as transparent and authentic as we can be in this moment. If we're all going to be honest, as followers of Jesus, sometimes life kind of gets in the way. The busyness of our schedule begins to take over. The hecticness of what's going on around us begins to kind of distract us. And if we were going to be honest today, we would all have to admit that there are times when we, we take for granted the amazing love and grace of God that was demonstrated to us in the cross of Jesus. I mean, think about this past week. How many times this past week did you set aside time just to reflect and think about and ponder and meditate on all that Jesus accomplished on the cross? And I don't say that to, to throw a guilt trip on you. I'm saying that to say we all get distracted. We get the busyness of life. And, and Jesus, I love this, he knew us. The psalmist said he is mindful that we are but dust. <laughs> That's a good thing. Amen? You don't have a lot of expectation out of dust. Think about that. He's mindful that we're dust. So Jesus knows who we are. He knew the tendency of our heart to get distracted. So here's what Jesus did. In his divine wisdom and infinite sovereignty, Jesus established a moment. 
And that's the phrase, honestly, this morning, as I was even praying and meditating over this uh, again to, to talk about today, what, what Jesus gave us is not a ritual, it's not a ceremony, it's a moment. He established a moment that the disciples would pull away from life, pull away from everything else, remove the distraction, and just for a moment, reflect on everything Jesus did for us. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Today, in a few minutes, we're going to have a moment. Not for you to go through the motions of religion. It's a moment for you and I to think on the cross. Jesus added a phrase that Matthew doesn't give us. Luke and Paul both give it to us in their description of this event. Here's what they, Jesus said this. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. That's what the word remembrance means in the Greek language. It's the, the idea of, of calling back into memory a vivid experience from the past. It's not re-experiencing that moment. It's, it's, it's taking some time. It's setting aside a moment to think about something from the past. It's, it's very much like a memorial service. At Hope, for the last two or three, <laughs> four weekends, we've had a number of memorial services, seven in the last three or four weekends. And we, sometimes at Hope, we won't have that many in an entire year because we're such a young church. And We've had seven memorial services, people that were in our fellowship that went home to be with the Lord. And when you have a memorial service, what's the point of that? The point is an opportunity to remember the life of the one who passed and celebrate all they lived for. That's what the memorial is designed to do. We come together and we take a minute, we set aside a moment, and we think about everything that person's life, how they impacted us, and we celebrate all that they lived for. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this bread. I want you to take this cup, and I want you to set it aside as a moment when you just think about the cross. Alan Redpath is a great theologian. Here's what he said about it. He said, it is the one who has given something for us at Calvary, asking each of us to remember his death, to put that at the very center of our Christian experience. It is he who loved us even unto death, calling us out from the busyness and often the barrenness of all of our pressure and work, that we might wait upon Him in the stillness of our hearts and worship Him. He points us back, not to His life or example, but to that which is at the very heart of the Christian gospel, the atonement of the cross, the finished work of Calvary, and the open tomb. Isaac Watts is a Christian from the 16, 1700s. Isaac Watts was a man who knew what it was to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You may know the name Isaac Watts because Isaac Watts is one of the most famous hymn writers 
who ever lived. We sing many of Isaac Watts' hymns still today in the church around the world. In 1707, Isaac Watts published his first book of hymns and spiritual songs. Now, you might not think that too significant, except Isaac Watts was a part of the Church of England. And up until 1707, the Church of England only sang psalms from the Old Testament in public corporate worship. But Isaac Watts, under deep conviction, after reflecting on all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, felt that only singing the Old Testament psalms did not give the complete picture of the totality of everything Jesus accomplished on the cross, not discounting the Old Testament Psalms, but wanting to give the complete picture of the gospel, Isaac Watts began to write songs that communicated all that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. 1707, he published the first volume of those hymns and spiritual songs, and it got him kicked out of the Church of England. To the point that Isaac Watts, I've stood in the cemetery where he was buried there in London, Isaac Watts was buried in the dissenters' cemetery, having been forced out of the Church of England because of his deep conviction of the power of the gospel and everything that Jesus accomplished. In that first volume that Isaac Watts published, he divided the songs into three sections. The third and final section of songs fell under the heading, Prepared for the Lord's Supper. Isaac Watts wrote a whole section of songs just to be used in this moment. One of them contains these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns Compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Isaac Watts knew what it was to think long on the cross. They had a sacrifice to remember. Number two, they had a story to share. A story to share. Look back at verse 28 in the text that I read for you. Jesus said, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Any word in that phrase jump out at you? There's a word in that phrase that I promise you jumped out at the disciples. You know what it was? What do you think? Nobody's brave enough to offer up a guess. Here's the word. 
many. Because here they were, 12. One of them just left. Judas had just run out. There's only 11 of them in the room with Jesus. They're it. 11 followers in the room. And Jesus says, this blood is for many. Now, we don't hear it with the magnitude they heard it with. The Greek word for many here is the Greek word polus. We have taken that word, transliterated it, brought it into the English language in the word metropolis. The word polus is a word that means great number, exceeding multitude. And when Jesus had these 11 men in this upper room and he's laying out this moment for them to remember everything that he was about to accomplish, in that moment, he breathed into them a promise that though right now you may be few, you will be many. You see, Jesus was communicating to his disciples that what he was about to do was not just about them but it was about the world that he was dying for and that's why a few chapters later Jesus would say to them in Mark 16 go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You see, every time we come together to celebrate the Lord's table, when we come together to sit in this moment and reflect on the power of the cross, we are sharing the reality that we are not ashamed of the power of the gospel. The only hope we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. We have not been entrusted with a message of self-help. We have not been entrusted with a message of prosperity. We have not been entrusted with a message of pop psychology. We have not been entrusted with a message of creating a better you. We have not been entrusted with a message of how to do this and how to do that. We have been entrusted with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen to me. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people. Jesus changes lives through the power of the gospel. Now, D.L. Moody was once asked, if you could only have one verse in all the Bible to preach the gospel, what would that verse be? And without hesitation, D.L. Moody said, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You know what it says? It says, he... God the Father made him God the Son who knew no sin. Glory be to God. The sinless Son of God came into the world, took on human flesh. He made him who knew no sin. Look at it. To be sin on our behalf. Then what are the next two words? Say them out loud. What have I told you about those two little words, right? Anytime you see those in the New Testament, they're important words. Why? Because in the Greek language, it's the word hina. It's really a, a flashing light because here's what it means. Here's the reason why. 
hear what the Bible says? God the Father calls the Son who, who, who came into this world, took on human flesh. God calls him to, to be sent. Jesus on the cross took all of your sin and all of my sin. Every act, every action, every thought, every motive of my heart, everything that is unclean. Jesus took it on himself as the sinless Son of God on the cross. And Jesus died for our sin. But glory be to God, he did not stay dead. Amen? Listen, if we didn't have Easter, we still have no hope. If all he did was die, we're still lost in our sin. But the glorious news of the gospel is that God the Father accepted his sacrifice for our sin. He raised him from the dead as a testimony. And now you and I, look what it says. Here's why that we now might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, if you understood the power of that, everybody in here would shout when we read that. Here's what that means. God no longer sees me as Vance Pittman trying to do the best I can to get to heaven. God doesn't see me as a sinner who's trying hard. No. He sees me as righteous as God himself. Is that because I deserve that? No. Is that because I've earned that? No. That is the power of the gospel. That Jesus Christ saves us from our sin. And every time, every time, every time we come together to take the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity for us to share this glorious gospel. You, you see, here's what Jesus knew. Our natural tendency is to drift from the gospel. Yeah, it's the gospel, but you know, we got this and this and all this. We drift, especially in the church in America. There's a lot of churches you can go to, you won't even hear the gospel. It sounds like you're at a self-help seminar. Listen, God didn't call us to preach self-help. We have the gospel. The only life-changing message we have is the gospel. It's not our church. It's not our religion. It's not our way of living. It is the power of the gospel. And so Jesus gave us this supper so that every time we did it, it's like an anchor that brings us back to the body and the blood those things that people don't want to talk about anymore. The body and the blood. Jesus knew our tendency. He gave us this practice as an anchor to bring us back to the body and the blood of Christ. Apart from him, there is no forgiveness of sin. Third thing, third defining lesson, and then we'll take this together. They had a promise to celebrate. They had a promise to celebrate. Look at verse 29. Jesus said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Again, put yourself in the disciples' seat. 
They're overwhelmed. Jesus says, I'm going to give you this practice. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And I'm not going to be doing this with you again. Until that day. What is that day? Paul describes it this way in 1 Thessalonians. He said, on that day, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. On that day, we do not need a supper in his honor because we will have a supper in his presence we'll be with him with him we have a promise to celebrate every time we take the Lord's Supper we're celebrating the reality that Jesus is coming again we're looking forward to that day that day when he comes Before we take the supper, there's one more verse of Scripture I want to read you that Paul added to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the only prescriptive passage that we have about the Lord's Supper. All the others are describing what happened with the disciples. This one's prescriptive, teaching us how to do it. 1 Corinthians 11, listen to what he says. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the the cup. The word examine there means to test by questioning. And we have a lot of people at Hope ask why we don't do the Lord's Supper every week. Because there are a lot of churches who every weekend as a part of their service have the Lord's Supper as a part of that. And let me tell you why we don't do that. We don't do that because the whole reason Jesus gave this practice is to create a moment. And if we just tag it on at the end as you leave, we miss the essence of why Jesus gave us the very practice to begin with. And Paul says, every time you do it, you should examine. You should test by questioning. It's an opportunity not only to reflect about everything Jesus did at the cross, but to reflect on my life before God today. So as we... Prepare our hearts. I want you to examine two areas. First of all, I want you to examine your relationship with God. And I want you to ask a couple of questions. Here's the first question. Do I know God? There are a lot of people who go through the motions of this practice who don't know God. And they believe that somehow by doing what we're about to do, it earns them salvation or right relationship with God. Listen to me. Listen very carefully. Jesus plus anything is wrong. You don't need Jesus plus the church. You don't need Jesus plus a practice. You don't need Jesus plus getting baptized. Jesus plus anything. All those other things have a place once we know him, but the only way to salvation is Jesus. Do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Have you ever experienced the forgiveness and grace of God that he accomplished for us on the cross. Listen, today, if you don't know him, you don't need a ceremony. You need a savior. You don't need a ritual. You need a relationship. And when you get that, this stuff makes sense. This stuff don't make sense without that. It's just dead work. It's religion. 
I know God? Here's the second question. Is there anything in my life that I know is not right with God? I want you to think about that question. Unconfessed sin. Open rebellion. Impure relationship. Unforgiveness. Wrong attitude. The list goes on and on. Is there anything in your life that you know is not right with God? Paul said, before you do this, you need to examine. You need to make those things right with God. God says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not that we have to go through a ritual. It's about fellowship with God. We get to restore the fellowship with him by getting honest with God. Listen to what Roy Hessian in his little book, The Calvary Road, said. He said, everything... That disturbs the peace of God in our hearts is sin. No matter how small it is, and no matter how little like sin it may at first appear to be. It's examining your relationship with God. Second area is your relationship with each other. When Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians, He was writing to a church that was experiencing a lot of division. He even said in the text, he said, I I hear that there are a lot of divisions that exist among you. The word division was a, a Greek word, schisma. We get our English word schism from it. It means to tear apart. And he was writing to a group of Christians that said, there's a bunch of your relationships that are just torn apart. And he said, before you go to the Lord's table, you need you need to deal with that. So so here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Is there anything not right? In my relationships inside the family of God. Anything not right. I, I knew as pastor. I knew where we were preaching this week. There was a relationship I had to go make right this week. I knew where we were coming this week. With this text. I needed to do that. Is there somebody you need to go to? Make right a relationship. Listen to what Roy Hessian said. The Calvary Road. He said, now the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross was not only to bring men back into fellowship with God, but also into fellowship with their fellow men. Everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, comes as a barrier between us and God. Relationship with God, relationship with each other, we need to examine. So let me tell you what's about to happen next. We're about to create some spiritual chaos, all right? You good with that? We're going to do four things at once. I know some of you think you're not multitaskers, but we're going to this morning, all right? I'm going to go ahead and ask our worship team to come join me here. I'm going to ask our volunteers to go ahead and go to the stations where we have the Lord's Supper set up. Here's what's about to happen next. In a moment after I pray, we're going to do four things. Number one, we're going to all go through a period of examination. I want you to answer those questions that we just posed. Is there anything in my life that's not right with God? Anything in my life that's not right with somebody maybe in this room, a brother or sister in Christ that you need to go to? Something you need to make right today. Examine. Number two, we're going to have a time of intercession. Time to pray about what God speaks into our heart. And you can do that in a variety of ways. For example, you see these two crosses that we've placed up here on the stage above the steps. 
we're going to open these areas up like an old-fashioned altar. And maybe you just want to come and kneel here at the foot of the cross and just lay something before the Lord that's on your heart. Maybe it's something you've been carrying. Maybe it's a, an area that you've been struggling in and you just want to come and just, just lay it here and get honest with God about it. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ and you'd like to experience God's grace and forgiveness and salvation. We're going to have some of our pastors that are going to be right down here at the front. If you don't know Jesus today, just like in the last service, you can come and say, hey, I don't know, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and show you from the Bible how you can come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and how you can begin to walk in the forgiveness and grace of God. So... We're going to be examining. We're going to be interceding. We're going to be praying. These pastors are going to be here. Maybe you need a pastor to pray with you over a job situation, a health situation, a relationship situation, a financial situation, whatever it may be. We're going to be examining our hearts, and then we're going to be just crying out to God and interceding. Third thing's going to happen, worship. Worship through the vehicle of the Lord's Supper. We have seven stations, one here, one over in the corner, all around the room in the back, where you can go and participate in the Lord's Supper. We have volunteers who are there ready to serve you the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. And after you've examined your heart and you've interceded, when you're ready, you can go to any one of these tables. Go to the one that's closest to you. and You can go... As an individual, you can go as a small group, you can go as a family, however you want to go to these tables. And you celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And you think about that bread that represents His body. Christ, the eternal God, took on human flesh. God who existed outside the parameters of time, chose to limit Himself and put on humanity and live among us as a man grow up as a child dependent on a mother so that he could live a sinless life and take our sin on himself. As you take that bread, you think about the glorious body of Christ. As you take that cup and we celebrate the blood of Jesus that Peter wrote about when he said we are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold that we inherited from the feudal way of life from our forefathers but we've been, been redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ there is no forgiveness of sins without the blood so you're going to go and worship God through these elements and then lastly we're going to praise our team's going to be the whole time we're doing all these other things they're going to be leading us in songs of praise and at any moment that you're ready, you just begin to praise with them. When you've finished all those things, you just come back to your seat and we're just going to praise God together and then I'm going to come and pray and dismiss us together. It's not a time to slip out early. It's a time for us to set aside a moment to be with Him.